Thanks for downloading the McKay interview. This podcast is brought to you by Kyoto Japan Automotive Group, a company which I've known personally for over 20 years, and your one-stop shop for tires, batteries, and auto parts. Visit their website at www.kyotojap.com for more details. My newest guest is Ambassador Yevhenia Filipenko, Ukraine's permanent representative to the United Nations and other international organizations in Geneva. Two days before the first anniversary of Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine, I asked Ambassador Filipenko, among other things, for her assessment of progress in the war, what she's been doing in and around the UN and international organizations in Geneva over the past 11 months since we last had a radio conversation, why so many African countries abstain from voting on relevant Ukraine resolutions, when the war will end, and how. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Today is Wednesday, 22nd of February. In two days' time, it'll be the first anniversary of Russia's illegal invasion of the sovereign country of Ukraine. In fact, it's almost nine years because Russia invaded Crimea in 2014, but the world stood back at that time and watched from the touchline. It's an affront, to put it mildly, that such an act of military aggression should take place at all in the early part of this 21st century, but it shows that man has an intrinsic capacity for warlike behavior, that free-thinking people must always be on their guard, and that it's naive to think, as some do, that the best way to deal with a bully in the playground is to embrace him with peaceful overtures. Some of you might have heard yesterday's BBC radio interview with the Prime Minister of Estonia, Kaya Kallas, talking of her country's experience of what it was like to live under Russian occupation and after independence in 1991 with a bully as your next-door neighbour. Her remarks were both eloquent and powerful. Now, one year ago, I invited Ambassador Yevhenia Filipenko about Ukraine onto my show, and today I've invited her back again, and I'm sitting here with her in the permanent mission of Ukraine to the United Nations in Geneva. Many thought the war would be short-lived, but the brave Ukrainian people had another view. Ukraine, with huge financial and material help from NATO, has given Putin's army a bloody nose, but has failed to land a knockout blow. Can it do so? Does it have the capacity and the military stamina to do so? It certainly has the will and determination. Now, I hope that Ambassador Filipenko will tell me and all of us listening how her government sees the current situation as the snows and frozen ground in Ukraine melt and spring slowly arrives. And with it, the certainty of a spring offensive comes into view. I'm sure we all want to hear her informed perspective, but I in particular want to know how Kiev sees an end to this conflict, a war that has already claimed many thousands of lives and forced many to flee as refugees, including some to this country. But I also want to know what she's been doing in and around the UN and international organizations in Geneva for the past 12 months. Hello, Ambassador Filipenko. Welcome back to the McKay interview, and many thanks for making time for me. Thank you very much for having me today. It's good to see you again. Nice it's to nice see to be you. here. Ambassador, a wide range of questions um, to ask you, and I'm going to try and get as many as, as I can into that short period of time. But first, an obvious question. What is your assessment of the progress of the war to date? And I mean gains and losses of your territory, losses of soldiers, losses to your compatriots, 
and the civilian population in particular, and what, what statistics can you tell us, if any? Thank you very much. Um, we are meeting at the week which marks one year since Russia's, um, uh, Russia, backed by Belarus, launched a large-scale invasion of Ukraine, the most brutal war in Europe since World War II. This Russia's unprovoked war of aggression has claimed the lives of tens of thousands of innocent civilians in Ukraine. Loss and tragedy personally touched each and every Ukrainian family and terrified the world. The scenes of massacres in the peaceful cities of Kyiv, Kharkiv, Chernihiv, Sumer regions shock the world, while Bucha, Irpin, Borodyanka, Hostomil, Izum have become symbols of grief and despair for the whole of humanity. Only after their liberation the did the world learn about the scale of the terrible war crimes of Russia's forces, murders, tortures, rape, Women, men, children, and the elderly all suffered. The International Commission of Inquiry, which was set up by the UN Human Rights Council here in Geneva in March 2022, established that war crimes, violations of human rights, and international humanitarian law have been committed in Ukraine. In the east and south, Russia attacked relentlessly. Kharkiv, Donetsk, Kherson, Dnipro. Just yesterday, we saw horrifying scenes from, from the shelling of the bus stop, which killed uh, six people and injured dozens of, of uh, innocent people waiting for the bus at the bus stop. Mariupol was turned into a ghost city. Tens of thousands killed, unable to escape. 14 million Ukrainians fled their homes to save their lives and their children. Sorry, 14 million. Yes, roughly one-third of the population of Ukraine has been displaced as a result of Russia's war. And this displacement is within Ukraine as well as in neighboring countries? Exactly. It's uh, eight, around 8 million refugees outside of Ukraine and 6 million internally displaced yeah. persons. Thousands of Ukrainian soldiers have been captured or unaccounted for. Many are subjected to torture ill-treatment in violation of the Geneva Conventions. Scores of Ukrainian prisoners of war um, held in Olenivka, the scene of horrible abuse. They were massacred last, last July. And it's not only uh, soldiers. Thousands of children have been illegally taken to Russia and were subjected to forced adoption into the Russian families in violation of international law. As we all know, forcible transfer of children of the group to another group constitutes a genocide under 1949 Genocide Convention. The senseless targeting of Ukraine's civilian side has caused untold suffering. Hundreds of hospitals and clinics, schools, kindergartens, cultural sites have been destroyed. As we speak, Russia is targeting Ukrainian heat, electricity, and water system, bringing suffering to Ukraine's most vulnerable populations through the coldest winter months. Russia's occupation of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, one of Europe's largest uh, plants, put the entire world at risk of a nuclear catastrophe. Russia's war has decimated Ukraine's agricultural uh, sector, driving food insecurity worldwide. This needless war has pushed tens of millions of the world's, world's most vulnerable closer to starvation. 
Even after the Black Sea Grain Initiative, only a fraction of pre-war shipments reached the world market as Russia continues to damage farms and threaten transport routes the world relies on. We hope that the current year would become a year of victory for Ukraine. And uh, as President Zelensky said, while acknowledging that Ukraine would face a challenging period, we are confident that the country would achieve historic uh, accomplishments with support of our allies. And I truly believe that Ukraine has succeeded in this war and would, will continue to win. Uh, Russia propaganda claimed that we would stay only for a few days. In reality, Russia has not only stopped the invasion, it has always been, also been able to free nearly half of its newly occupied territories through successful counteroffensive. Russia has become a global pariah. Ukraine has made it clear we will not accept peace at any cost. We won't agree to anything that keeps Ukrainian territories occupied and puts our people at the mercy of Russia. So we are absolutely convinced that the war can and should end this year. So the, the anniversary of the beginning of invasion will be the first and last in our history. It's a gruesome list that you've given me, Ambassador, but now to help me and the listeners who don't have the level of knowledge of the United Nations and the system that operates that you live in on a daily basis, how then does all of that relate to what you actually do in Geneva on a day-to-day -day basis? What are, what, what are the levers that you pull? What are the meetings and the organizations that you visit to marshal support and to actually do things that help your country? This year has been very dynamic uh, in Geneva, which hosts over 40 international organizations. Of course, after the shock of the first day of full-scale war, we stepped up and began, began uh, acting across international Geneva, uh, pushing Russia and, and taking action to condemn the invasion to isolate Russia and to bring Russia into account for, uh, for their atrocities. Last uh, April, the international community suspended Russia's membership rights in the Human Rights Council. It was done in Geneva, I remember that, but yes. uh, Russia is no longer a member of the Human Rights Council, which sits in Geneva. Uh, throughout the year, uh, the International Geneva adopted dozens of decisions condemning, isolating, uh, uh, Russia and supporting Ukraine's recovery efforts. Human rights monitoring in Ukraine bring, brings truth to the world about Russia's war, worst uh, abuses, targeting of civilians, uh, all other kinds of war crimes and crimes against humanity. Uh, most of our attention, of course, uh, has been given to the people in, uh, of Ukraine uh, we worked with the Geneva-based humanitarian organizations in order to ensure that humanitarian assistance to Ukrainian civilians affected by Russia's actions is provided in a timely and effective manner. The Office of the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, the International Organization of Migration, the World Health Organization, the ICRC, the International uh, Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, they provided tens, hundreds 
of millions of dollars in assistance. They have taken an active part in the restoration of damaged civilian infrastructure and assistance to our temporarily displaced So these organizations actually go in and physically do this. They put resources and money into making a, a difference of, of all the damage that's been done. Yes, all these organizations uh, had already been on the ground in Ukraine before Russia, uh, Russia's invasion. And on the eve of Russia's invasion, all these organizations were aware and they prepared the contingency plans for the upscale operations in case uh, there is uh, a worst uh, case scenario. And when Russia invaded uh, Ukraine, they really uh, bolstered their operations in Ukraine and increased their presence and and effectively uh, increase their, their assistance uh, to, the, to the population. Can I just ask you an, another question, which um, often interests me? Again, it's to do with my lack of knowledge of how the UN system works. Tell me why so many African countries were in the abstaining 35 of that important resolution last March, March of, of last year. I mean, do you ever ask them why they abstained? And if and when you do, what do they tell you? And yeah, there's a corollary to that. Have they sort of moved, have some of them moved in your direction from just sitting on their hands to actually being more supportive? I'm just curious to know how that works. You know, we live in a very globalized and in a very diverse world. Every continent and every country, they have their own problems. And what happened last year just it was not only attack on Ukraine, it was an attack on the whole multilateral system. And since then, the international community have, has provided a very powerful a response to Russia's aggression, saying that this is the violation of the UN Charter, the UN Charter which guarantees the security of, of all countries. Uh, Africa is 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 a huge continent with uh, with a number of of uh, difficult problems related to security, conflicts, poverty, uh, natural disasters, uh, development. Uh, they really, oh, from on the human uh, side, they do feel sympathy. Uh, to the Ukrainian uh, people who are victims of the aggression. Uh, on the other hand, they feel that not enough has been done to help them in their uh, in addressing their problems. So this is part of of the of the answer that uh, that I receive from my African colleagues. That's the context. Uh, the context, uh, but they do they do realize and. Uh, Throughout these months, there is an increased realization that Russia's war against Ukraine is a war against all. It has very serious repercussions for, uh, for all the continents in terms of food, energy security, environment. Uh, so there is this, this uh, uh, increased understanding that this is our common problem and we have to find, 
to put an end to, to Russia's uh, invasion and to the violations of our common principles. Back to Ukraine again, Ambassador. I mean, we've, we've all seen these terrible television pictures of the damage that's been done to the infrastructure. How do you contemplate the prospect of Ukraine's infrastructure, housing, schools, hospitals, power, water, being slowly but methodically depleted, flattened, I think, immediately of Mariupol, but there are other towns and cities, you mentioned them earlier, and done in the typical Russian militaristic way so that your competitors have to face the prospect of large parts of their country, your country, being unlivable. What do leaders like you and your president say to your people in order to lift their spirits and maintain morale? You know, the Ukrainian people are the people of will of steel. And I'm proud of, of, of our people of the way they fight, of the way we resist the, uh, the aggression and the occupation. Uh, their determination and their will to live normal life is unbreakable. I was in Ukraine in December and I visited Mykolaiv and I saw the destruction of schools, universities, uh, residential buildings. And I also saw the desire of people to live normal life, the de determination to, you know, their, their refusal to be, to, to be victims. And you know uh, what they told us, uh, the people in Mykolaiv and Kyiv and everywhere I, I met uh, uh, my compatriots, they said, you know, they will, not, uh, they will not break us. The more they bomb, the stronger the resistance is. Uh, they will not break the, our will to live our life this is on often our the case. land. This is often the case, yes. Can I ask you something else about um, a slightly different uh, aspect? I'm not sure myself to what extent economic sanctions work. But friends who know more about this than I do tell me that Russia has not been able to obtain its usual price level for oil and gas now that traditional Western European customers are no longer buying. Yet it's still able to sell its stuff in other markets around the world, apart from Western Europe. But how effective have sanctions been in your opinion and how active have you been on the Geneva scene in making sure that they are being enforced or even strengthened? And one last point of that, would you like to see sanctions further increased, assets seized, visas revoked, sportsmen, sportswomen excluded, even orchestras, musicians, artists banned from international events? How do you, how do you see that? Strengthening sanction is one of our main goals and in one is one of the instruments to sanctions generally or economic in general in general, in general and one of the one of the tools to uh, restrain uh, Russia and to make it stop their uh, unlawful actions we call for increased sanction pressure on the Russian Federation uh, here in Geneva we work on isolating Russia uh, in and not allowing them to uh, occupy leading positions in international organizations. Uh, we uh, 
work towards relocating the offices of international organizations from the territory of Russia because the country which violates the principles of these organizations does not deserve to host the, the offices of those organizations. And could you give me some examples of success in that, or is this still work in progress? This is still work in progress, but it, it has already started on uh, several fronts, and we expect that this progress will be, uh, will be moving towards, uh, uh, towards, towards successful uh, completion. Um, as our foreign minister, Dmitro Kuleba, said, it's very important that we close all loopholes for circumventing sanctions. The data indicate active attempts that uh, Russia undertakes to circumvent the restrictions, and this should be met with, with a strong resistance, and that's what we discuss with our uh, colleagues uh, in Geneva, especially when it comes to, uh, to the work of the World Trade Organization and economic and trade, uh, trade relations. Uh, but we are not. We talk not only about uh, economic sanctions. Um, we we right now demand the Olympic Olympic ban on uh, Russian and Belarusian athletes uh, for obvious reasons. Over the past 15 years, Russia has broken the Olympic truce at least three times including invading Ukraine shortly after the Olympic Games in Beijing started. Uh, since February 24th of last year, at least 231 Ukrainian athletes and coaches have been killed by Russia. 15 have, have been wounded, 28 detained, and four are missing. Principles of neutrality in sport cannot apply to Russia's invasion of Ukraine in any way. Approximately one-third of Russian athletes participating in the Beijing 22 Olympics were soldiers of the Russian army and members of the central sports clubs. Currently, Russian athletes publicly support Russia's war uh, against Ukraine, the occupation of Ukrainian territories. They even visit their temporarily occupied territories of Ukraine. Russian sport and Russian Olympic Committee are integral parts of Russia's imperial propaganda and the state propaganda, which is uh, uh, carrying out the ongoing crime of aggression against Ukraine. Dozens of states demand that Russian and Belarusian athletes uh, are banned from 2024 Olympics. We believe that there is no place at the Olympics for representative of a terrorist state and its allies, Russia and Belarus, even if they are under a white flag. So, any participation of Russian and Belarusian athletes in the Olympics will result um, in Ukraine and international coalition boycotting events. I have a lot of sympathy with that position. Let's start and talk about agriculture. How badly did the battles of 2022 impede the planting season for grains to be harvested later this year? I ask the question because, as you know, your country produces somewhere between 7 to 9% of the world's wheat crop, so it's very important. The world grain shortage and resulting increase in prices could become worse, not better. What's the situation in Ukraine today regarding the planting and the harvest to come? To start with, I would like to draw your attention to the actual figures 
uh, you touched upon asking this question. Ukraine accounts for 10%, 10% of the world wheat market, 15% okay. of mm. the corn market, and 13% of the barley market. So these are big numbers. Exactly. Yeah. With more than 50% of world trade, it's also the main player on the sunflower oil market. These figures present an obvious reason to argue that Ukraine is indeed a guarantor of food security. Um, as for your question on harvest, if we are talking about the sowing campaign, we are currently unable to use 25% of the area due to the ongoing hostilities or temporary occupation of our territories. Another part of the area could not be sown due to unfavorable weather conditions. So in spring, we need to cover the deficit of unseeded win winter crops. In 2022, winter crops were sown on four 0.8 million hectares. This is about 40% less than in 2022. 40%? Wow. We expect more spring crops to be planned uh, in spring to compensate. But it is clear that the high level of mine contamination in the fields, the uncertainty factor and constant enemy attacks will affect the quantitative indicators of our harvest this year. For the time being, our government is working to attract international support, which should have a positive impact on the 2023 uh, gross harvest. Uh, the Food and Agriculture Organization uh, of the United Nations has already agreed to provide the country with the seed material that would increase the total area uh, of spring uh, crops in 2023 by 30%. However, despite this, I can assure you that uh, 2023 harvest will be enough for both export and domestic consumption. We plan to continue exporting grain as part of President Zelensky initiative, grain from Ukraine, and to achieve the ambitious aim of this initiative to provide grain to at least five million people by the end of spring 2020. Okay, well, that's encouraging. Very, I'm surprised to hear you say that, but I'm encouraged by that. I want to talk about security and the rule of law. About a year ago, Ambassador Thomas Greminger, he's the director of Geneva Center for Security Policy, I'm sure you know him, and a former Secretary General of the OSCE, said on, on this show that the best friend of Switzerland in international relations is international law, and I'm sure that applies to a lot of other countries too. In the context of your own country, what would be the mechanism for arraigning Russian war criminals in the International Criminal Court, of which Russia, and the United States by the way, is not a signatory, for the atrocities committed, and you listed many of them at the beginning of this interview. Uh, though the ICC is in The Hague, do you play a role there, even from here in Geneva? Um, you know, Ukraine is defending now not only its sovereignty and territorial integrity, it defends the rule of law and the rule-based order and the might of international law. Uh, now we are working on all possible legal tracks to ensure accountability of Russia for the crimes and violations of international law. It can and should be ensured on two levels. The responsibility of Russia as a state under international uh, law and responsibility of Russia and responsibility of uh, individuals, citizens of the Russian Federation. When we talk about the responsibility of Russia as a state, there is an international uh, criminal court uh, for this purpose and international court of justice uh, uh, 
for this purpose, and we have two cases, Ukraine against the Russian Federation there. There are also about 10 interstate cases in the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, where responsibility of Russian Federation for the, uh, for the violation of European Convention of Human Rights is considered. There are maritime law arbitrations uh, under the relevant UN conventions. Uh, and there are mechanisms that should bring Russia as a state to account. At the same time, there is a second track, the responsibility of individual citizens uh, of Russia. In March 2022, the International Criminal Court started an official investigation into the situation in Ukraine. It has jurisdiction over three categories of international crimes, war crimes, crimes against humanity, and the crime of genocide. Uh, within the framework of the ICC, we talk about the personal responsibility, first of all, of the highest political and military leadership of the Russian Federation, which has immunity and because of this cannot be brought to criminal responsibility at the level of national um, justice. Uh, it is obvious that ICC uh, will focus on the most egregious facts for the persecution of high-ranking officials. Uh, that is those who gave orders and middle-range officials who were responsible for organizing and committing their crimes. Um, as for Geneva, after the full-scale invasion of Russia, the Ukrainian side initiated the creation of the UN Independent International Commission to investigate violations in Ukraine. Uh, the commission's uh, mandate is to investigate the violations of human rights and humanitarian law during the Russian aggression. In its report in October 2022, the commission established that war crimes have been committed uh, in Ukraine uh, uh, by the Russian army, especially uh, in the Kyiv, Chernihiv, Sumy, and Kharkiv region. Uh, in December, the members of the commission made their 10th visit to Ukraine, which focused on Russian missile attacks on civilian infrastructure and the impact of war on children. This March, uh, during the Human Rights Council session, the commission will present their findings to the, to the council um, on, on human rights violation and crimes. Uh, this commission cooperates closely with the Office of the Prosecutor of the ICC and the Prosecutor General of Ukraine, and there is um, uh, a high level of cl uh, complementarity between their mandate. I would also say that the issue of accountability is part of the 10-point peace formula presented by President Zelensky, and I will speak uh, about this in more detail later, the accountability is one of the uh, of the elements of this, uh, an important element of this peace plan, and we are working with partners on the idea of establishment a special tribunal to try the uh, high political and military uh, Russian leadership for the crime of aggression as they say, the mother of all crimes, because the ICC doesn't have a mandate to, uh, to prosecute for the crime of aggression. So you see there is a comprehensive legal effort to bring Russia and its officials uh, to account for, for their crimes. Just listening, just listening to you, I hadn't realized it was actually so complicated, and I hadn't realized that there are so many other ways of pulling this 
problem together, so to speak, than just the ICC. So I thank you for that uh, illuminating explanation. Just as an aside, I'm just curious, going back in a way to sanctions again, Ambassador, are Western countries that have been historically friendly towards Russian money, wealth like my own, the United Kingdom and Switzerland, now seriously standing up to the challenge which will hit them, or at least some of them, in their well-padded wallets? Are they changing their behavior, policies, and laws? I mean, can you give me examples of where these countries that have been rather open to all this money that flows in, to, that they're changing their behavior and their actions? You know, we are talking about the countries which are very developed democracies, whose political system and the society is based on the values, rule of law, and human rights. Both UK and Switzerland, after the Russia's, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, has decisively stood up in support of Ukraine. UK is one of the strongest supporters of Ukraine on all fronts, on the political fronts, the leader, one of the leading nations to, to, defend, uh, to defend the UN Charter and the, the principles, uh, human rights, support for accountability. On, uh, uh, on the military front, the support, the military support, the training of Ukrainian servicemen is, is, is really incredible. Uh, supporting the, uh, welcoming the Ukrainian refugees um, in the country. So we feel these partners support uh, on all fronts and we are grateful for that. In uh, Switzerland, the country uh, where, where we uh, currently, currently live, you can see this sympathy and solidarity of ordinary people uh, to Ukraine, to, to the suffering of the Ukrainian people. The humanitarian assistance provided by, by Switzerland to Ukraine is, uh, uh, is indeed, uh, indeed in very, uh, very impressive and, and incredible. So the whole world stands with Ukraine and, uh, and we appreciate the support of our partners. Okay, no, I understand. I understand that, uh, Ambassador. I've got one more question for you. You've been very good to give me so much of your time, but it's a simple question. When will this war end and how? This is a simple and a difficult one. The war will end when Russia will be made to end this war. In the meantime, we are working on it uh, on the battlefield, but at the same time, we propose a peace plan. And uh, as I said, this 10-point uh, peace formula that uh, was presented by President Zelensky provides comprehensive answers to, to many questions uh, of what needs to be done to end the war in a sustainable and just manner. Uh, this plan contains uh, very important elements of energy, food security, accountability, treatment, uh, treatment of uh, detainees, uh, many many other aspects. They that that uh, provide a comprehensive uh, solution uh, and uh, to to adjust comprehensive and lasting peace in Ukraine. And let me mention another 
political message that the world will hear tomorrow in New York. There will be a resolution voted tomorrow in the UN General Assembly at the special session on Ukraine, which is called UN Principles Underline a Last Comprehensive and, and Lasting Comprehensive and Just Peace in Ukraine. Uh, this document is based on the fundamental uh, principles of sovereignty, independence, and territorial integrity of states within their internationally recognized borders. I think these principles uh, are close uh, to, to each, uh, each country uh, of the United Nations. So this, this f uh, resolution is fundamental because it charters the way for, for, uh, for a peace, for a real peace in Ukraine. And you say this is happening tomorrow in New York. It will happen tomorrow in New York. Uh, and it will be a confirmation, reaffirmation of the validity and relevance of the uh, international law and the UN Charter and the principles which guarantee security for each and every uh, country in the world. It is very important to protect the territorial integrity of any state and in order to pre pre prevent any attempts by any country to appropriate the territory of another country in the future. So this will be a very important resolution and we hope that the international community will stand up in defense of the UN Charter, without which, without respect for which, our world will never be secure. Thank you, Ambassador. It's, it's been a long and very illuminating conversation. I thank you for talking to me and answering all my questions. I know some of them haven't been particularly easy. I wish you and the Ukrainian people strength and fortitude. I'm sure I speak for in 99.999% of our listeners. And my guest today has been Her Excellency Madame Yevhenia Filipenko, Ukraine's ambassador and permanent representative to the United Nations and other international organizations in Geneva. Thank you again for your time, Ambassador. Thank you. Ukraine will win. Slava Ukraini. Thank you, Ambassador. Thanks for listening to the McKay Interview podcast, brought to you by Kyoto Japan Automotive Group a company which I've known personally for over 20 years, and your one-stop shop for tyres, batteries and auto parts. Visit their website at www.kyotojap.com for more details. And you can find more podcasts on Anchor FM. Just Google McKay Interview Anchor FM. Thanks again for listening.